so, um, but we have had a few technical difficulties this morning. Um, clearly, I need to, uh, God's plan for my life is for me to lose additional hair. Um, so I'm just going to go over here and fiddle with the PC, and uh, John's going to speak for about 20 minutes about Matthew 28, the Great Commission. At the end of that, he'll stop seating the technology. I would like just to ask if anybody's got a kind of, I was really struck by this. So we can hear a little, listen a little bit to each other, so that we're doing a little bit of processing together. Okay, so talk amongst yourselves for a moment. Once John appears on the screen and starts talking, if you can stop talking, that would be really cool. I'm John Tucker, Principal of Carey Baptist College, your theological college, and it's a real privilege to be here with you this morning. Earlier this year, on the 25th of March, every New Zealander received on their phone a special alert message from Civil Defence. It was the last message from our government before we went into lockdown. Do you remember it? The message was very short, it was very simple, but it was very, very important. It was the government's instructions on how to fight the virus threatening our society. Well, let me read to you another short, another simple, and another incredibly important message. It's from Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 16 to 20, well-known words, uh, the Great Commission. Let me read these words to you. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So these are the last recorded words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before ascending to heaven. In this short, simple alert message, he tells us how we are to fight against the virus of sin in our world. He tells us how we're to participate in what he's doing to save and transform this world. So let's spend some time reflecting on what he says. The message is short, it's simple, but it's incredibly profound. In the ancient world, powerful kings sometimes entered into, into agreements, binding special agreements or covenants with different tribes or groups of people. These covenants, they typically contained three key sections. It's really interesting. First of all, the king would assert his authority and his power. This is who I am. And then in the second section, the king would issue his instructions, his demands. This is how I expect you to behave as my covenant partner. And then thirdly, uh, the king would bestow certain benefits on the people. 
this third section of the covenant would say, this is what you can expect from me if you participate faithfully in this covenant. So when God chose the people of Israel to be his special people through whom he would bless the whole world, he made a covenant with them on Mount Sinai. And that agreement had the same three sections. First of all, on Mount Sinai, God asserts his authority. He says, I am the Lord, God in heaven above and on the earth below. This is who I am. And then secondly, he issues his instructions. He gives Israel the Old Testament law and he says to them, you are to obey every command that I'm giving you. And then thirdly, finally, he bestows on his people a blessing. He says to them, I will put my dwelling place among you. I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Now, it's interesting. Jesus' final instructions here in Matthew 28 to his disciples on a mountain, they actually follow the very same pattern. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but his great commission to us has the same three sections. So let's, let's look at these. Let's work through them. In the first section, Jesus asserts his authority. He says in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Words that echo Deuteronomy. Now, in one sense, this is old news, because throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus has demonstrated incredible authority. He just has to say the words, be clean, be clean, and a leper is clean. He just has to say the words, be still, and a raging storm suddenly falls silent. He just has to say the words, be gone, and demons flee. But these words here in verse 18, um, they say something new as well, because they're a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel the prophet records a vision that he has. He says, There before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language, they worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is saying that in his resurrection and his ascension, this prophecy is being fulfilled. He has received from his Father, the Ancient of Days, complete authority over the entire created order, every nation, every person, every demon, every power, and verse 17 says that when the disciples see this Jesus, they worshipped him, the text says, but some doubted. Now that's a generous translation. The Greek, the original language, actually suggests they all doubted. The disciples worshipped him and doubted him. They were divided. They were hesitant in their hearts, like you and me, like any disciple. But Jesus doesn't come to these disciples and scold them. He comes to them and strengthens them. He encourages them. He says, take heart. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I teach church history at Kerry, and uh, I love teaching about and reading about, learning about John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Six days before Wesley died, he wrote a letter, his final letter, his parting instructions. Can you guess who he wrote the letter to? It was to William Wilberforce, the Christian politician who led the campaign to abolish the British slave trade. And the letter from Wesley was about slavery. And, and this is how it went. 
You can just imagine Wesley's, you know, posh, aristocratic English accent. Dear sir, unless the divine power has raised you up to be as Athanasius against the world, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that execrable villainy, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. I I won't keep reading in a, a funny voice. But if God, he went on to say, before you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away before it. Well, Wilberforce persevered with his campaign and 16 years later, against all odds, he won. The British slave trade was, was outlawed by an act of parliament. How has God raised you up? What's he called you to do in his name? Do you sometimes doubt? You doubt whether you'll ever really see much progress? Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you a bit discouraged? A bit overwhelmed maybe? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If he's for you, who can be against you? So in the first section of this encounter, Jesus asserts his authority. But then in the second section, he goes on, on the basis of that authority, to issue his instructions. He says to the disciples in verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Now, a better translation would be, As you go, make disciples. The one imperative verb or command in this passage is to make disciples. Jesus is not primarily saying, go to the ends of the earth or preach the gospel. He's he's saying primarily here, as you go about your lives, wherever you go, whatever you do, make disciples. Is Jesus your master? Is Jesus your king? Then one of the priorities of your life is to make disciples, to help others grow up in Christ. That's what Jesus wants you to do. And in these verses, he gives us two very simple instructions on how to do it. So simple, they, we, we almost kind of take them for granted. The first one is, in, in, in terms of making disciples, is to baptize people in the name of the Father or into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, why does Jesus prioritize baptism? Well, in the Bible, baptism is more than a, a statement of personal faith in Christ. It's a rite of initiation into the body of Christ, Being immersed in water symbolizes your inclusion in the covenant community, your your inclusion in the people of God. So Jesus is saying here that the way to, to make disciples is to immerse people into a covenant community, a committed Christian community where people are serious about the about sharing their lives with one another. Making disciples is not a burden that you have to carry on your own. It's something we do together as a community. I've been reading recently about educational theory and how people learn. I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but experts tell us that learning is essentially a relational activity. People largely learn through, through observation and imitation of those around them. So, for example, what's the easiest way to learn a second language? The same way we learned the first, by immersion in a community, by listening at great lengths to those around us who speak the language fluently. 
You want to learn the language of discipleship? You want to grow as a disciple? Immerse yourself. Plunge yourself into a committed Christian community. Give yourself to the people in this church. Commit yourself to the members of a small group. Open your life to them. Open your home to them. Prioritize spending time with them. This kind of commitment is costly and it's countercultural, but it's crucial. You want to help others grow as disciples. Immerse them in a committed Christian community. I think, honestly, one of the most strategic missional initiatives that, that any of us can take is to think creatively and prayerfully about how we can deepen the relationships in our churches. Because making disciples means baptizing people into a committed covenant community. But there's more in these, in these, in these verses. In verse 20, Jesus adds a second key instruction, a teaching them, he says, to obey everything I've commanded you. Making disciples means teaching people the commands of Jesus, the words of Jesus preserved for us in Scripture. Now, why? Well, the words of Jesus don't just tell us what to do. They enable us to do it. You think about it. Jesus commands a crippled man, get up and walk, he says. And the man does. Jesus calls a terrified disciple to come walk on the water. And he does. The words of Jesus are not just commands, they're promises. The words of Jesus don't just instruct or inform, they empower they transform. They've got creative power. They do something. And you see this all the time. I've got a friend who I'll call Rachel. She's been on the edge of church for many years and never really shown much growth as a disciple until a year or two ago when a friend at church said to her, I'm starting a weekly breakfast group. Do you want to join? It's just four of us. Uh, during the week, we're going to read a few pages from Tom Wright's devotional book on the Gospel of Matthew, and then we'll discuss it when we gather together over cereal and toast. Well, Rachel agreed. She joined up. She started reading the Word of God, discussing the Word of God, hearing the Word of God in a way that she hadn't really much before, and it's transformed her. She's a different person today. Do you want to make disciples? Read the Word of God and read it with others. You don't need to study theology to do that. You don't need a PhD, but it certainly helps to study theology and to come to terms with some of the richness of what God is saying to us in his word. Well, this brings us to the final section of this passage. Jesus has asserted his authority. He said, this is who I am. He's issued his instructions. This is what I want you to do. And then finally, he bestows a blessing on his people. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus has said that all authority has been given to him. He said that, that we are to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. And now, for the fourth time in this passage, he uses the word all. He says, surely I am with you always, at all times. And when you think about it, that was the great blessing of the old covenant. God said to his people, if you obey me, I will put my dwelling place among you. I will be with you. When God commissioned Joshua to lead his people into the promised land, what did he say to him? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, 
here in these words, the Son of God extends that same promise to all his disciples. He says, I will be with you, plural, wherever you go. As you seek to obey my command and live out the terms of this covenant and help others grow as disciples, you can count on it. I will be with you. I love the story about G.K. Chesterton, the famous journalist and author who came to faith as an adult. Uh, Once when he was standing on a street corner in London, a newspaper reporter approached him and said, excuse me, uh, I understand that you recently became a Christian. May I ask you a question? Chesterton replied, certainly. The reporter said, if the risen Christ were to suddenly appear at this very moment and be standing behind you, what would you do? And Chesterton looked the reporter in the eye and said, he is. He is. He is standing with you when you read the Bible in your life group on Wednesday night. He is standing with you when you meet up with that young person for a coffee and a chat. He is standing with you when you pray with your daughter at bedtime tonight. So yes, this alert message from Jesus to his disciples, to us, is, it's very short and it's very simple. It's very well known, but it's very, very important because in asserting his authority, in issuing his instructions, in bestowing a blessing, the blessing of his presence, the risen Christ is affirming the new covenant that he has made between God and you. And because of that covenant, Go and make disciples is not just a command, it's a promise. It's not just something you must do, it's something you can do. And with God's grace, it's something we will do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of participating in your mission, your work of renewing this world. Thank you for the assurance that you have complete authority over the entire created order. Thank you for for the instructions that you've given to us in these few short words, simple, but, but so profound. And we thank you, Lord, for the promise, the wonderful promise of your presence with us as we go about this this calling, this task of making disciples. By your Spirit, we pray, would you fill us with the power to trust you and to obey you, that we might be disciples who make disciples, that we might be be a church, that we might be, be a people through whom renewal transforms people and places. Change this world, Lord, and do it through us, we pray. Amen. Anybody game enough to say, I was really struck by this?
Sorry, yeah, I, I was struck that I never, um, as, he, as he said, that I never appreciated the fact that our that the Great Commission is based on covenantal, um, as as was Sinai. It makes it even more powerful as a summary of what Jesus' whole ministry was about. struck by, uh, as I go, sort of, whatever I do, I can make disciples. I don't have to sort of be very deliberate, but I have to be deliberate about it. But as I go, whatever I do, I can make disciples. That would struck me. Um, this verse is one of the ones that really affirms, like, the truth of the Bible for me. Because as an English student, you'll, you'll see what I mean. If you can all close your eyes, please, and imagine the coolest superhero you can in their, like, lycra or whatever they're wearing with their swords and shields, and they're like, I am the most powerful superhero in the world. Now, please, you go and save the world. Like, that doesn't happen. And there, here's Jesus saying, I have all the authority and power. And... For somebody in that time, like, writing that, that would be a big shame for them to write that if it wasn't true. Like, for them to say that somebody else is this hero that, um, and then that they're not even going to do it, that they're sending us out to do it, like, that's pretty incredible and really countercultural for them to write that. So that's what amazes me about that. I like the way he linked the old, the old Testament and the New, and in particular, the, I think sometimes we get the idea of the Old Testament as the old way and the New, we think of a change of direction, but it's not a change of direction. It's, a, it's perhaps better to be called the Renewed Testament, or the, it's a renewing. So when he talks about God wanted to dwell with us in the Old Testament, that's being echoed again in the New Testament, that it's just a, it's a continuation. Because God hasn't changed his plan from, the, from, from day one. It's, it's, it's still pressing. You know, there's no been sort of turned left at the fork in the road. It's, it's still in the same direction that God wants to dwell with us. That was what struck me. Um, I was struck by um, what he was saying about immersing people in um, a community of, um, you know, a godly community. But then there's the second part about teaching as well. So it's, um, and that's, somebody used the word countercultural, and that's what we're really trying to do. We're trying to teach people a countercultural way of living. And um, so we need to be careful. We need to make sure that we're that we're doing both. That um, we're not just immersing people in love, but we are actually challenging them as well. What struck me about that one I hadn't noticed before is that some doubted, um, and yet he still went on and gave them that instruction. And uh, God, through those disciples, changed the world. Did you notice actually John said um, his reading of the Greek was they all doubted, which is really intriguing. Yeah, I was just thinking about and talking about Wilbur, Wilbur William, <laughs> Wilberforce and just that fact that it took 16 extra years 
And sometimes I think we get really discouraged sometimes when we don't see God's plan that we think that he has for our lives working out. But actually God is in control. Jesus is in control. And having that faith that actually what God has promised will come to fruition. Yeah. Um, I was really encouraged talking to somebody this week about how much harder it's becoming to be a Christian in our culture. And she said, and how much more are we needed? And I think those words of Jesus just reassured me that even though it's harder, he's still all authority. He's still everything we need when it's a lot harder in this culture than it has been in my growing up days. So it hasn't changed God's ability to change the culture. Actually, it's when Janet was talking about William Wilberforce. It was just um, prompted me to think, well, that letter that was written must have been a real encouragement in how we're supposed to be encouraging to one another because you never know when your words of encouragement may really um, encourage that person to go forward. And, um, yeah, so to build one another up is really important within our community. So... In, um, in what John talked about, he talked about the importance of covenant, which Lester talks about. He talked about there being three aspects to it, didn't he? There being authority, some instructions, and a blessing. And um, we're in the practice of taking communion regularly. And I found myself wondering, ah, oh, that's got the word covenant in it as well, hasn't it? When Paul writes about it, he talks about, oh, well, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I thought, Covenant! I wonder if the same pattern is there. And I thought it's show weekend. Um, I thought we wouldn't be... I just didn't think many of you would be here. <laughs> Thrilled to have you. Um, and as I reflected on it, I thought actually those things are there. So what I'd like to do, um, once again, occasionally we do this, I've got, uh, should be the right number of plates for each section. And on each plate there's one of these little things so you can squirt the um, uh, juice and um, if you can grab a, a, a bun. I've got the three things, the authority, the instructions and the blessing. And I'd like us to be able to talk and or pray together um, in our kind of groupings and then take communion, doing just working through this. So the first thing was authority. And talks about as Kim mentioned, kind of, well, Lord over everything. This is the Lordship of Christ over every person, place, and authority. And I was very struck by the doubt. <laughs> and so I've got a question for you all. Um, two questions, really. What are the people and places and authorities where you'd long to see Christ as Lord? That invites you to think about 
the things you think, oh, these are just not the way they should be. And then I put a question in there, which is John asked, he said, how has God raised you up? He was asking you to think about what it is to be a follower of Jesus and have access to some of the, this authority. What is it? So, you have three minutes. There's a little counter on the side falling off the screen to talk with the person next to you, if you want to, about this question, thinking about authority. If you run out of things to say, I'd love it if you prayed. Your time begins now. There it is, slowly disappearing. <laughs> this well this one's not so clear but I guess Christ did tell us to do this to remember him Christ told us to love God and love our neighbours ourselves to make disciples baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit tougher slightly more intense question how are you getting on with this yep again a chance to chat again a chance to pray and the timer will start oh you can't even see it at all there was a timer down there, but it turns out the moment I get off the screen here it stops. So time is an epic fail. We're used to that Colin technology. Here's your chance. Have a chat about that. For interrupting. When somewhere between when I set up the chairs and people coming in, bless you, more chairs appeared. So my numbers have all fallen over. There are about eight to ten cups on each one of these plates. Um, I would love it if in... Yes, oh, I don't know we're going to do this. I'm, I'm completely flummoxed. Can you gather into groups of about eight or more um, there, um, and come up, grab this? The question is, well, can you bless each other, take bread and wine? Um, there are, um, are gluten-free tablets, uh, um, crackers here, that if you know there's people who are gluten-free, come and get those, and I'll set up another plate or two.